Morning. So for those of you that don't know me, uh, my name is Dan. I was born a loyal subject of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. I'm uh, married to my beautiful wife, Renee, of 20 years, and I have two sons. Now, who's ever been to a dinner party? or maybe a Christmas meal or something like that. Everything's going really well. You know, there's nice chit-chat. Everyone's talking nicely. Um, the chicken's been a little bit overcooked, but with the gravy, it makes it nice and moist, so it's okay. Everything's going well. And then suddenly, there's silence because someone just said something really, really shocking. That slightly weird uncle that we've all got, he just mentioned that he voted yes for Brexit. <laughs> uh, maybe that's just my family dinners and not yours. But it's the principle's the same. I'm sure you've experienced it. You know, you're in that, that place, and then somebody drops that conversation bombshell. You know, it's normally one of the, uh, the unholy trinity, you know, money, religion, or politics. And then suddenly, the whole atmosphere in the room changes. You know, everything gets heated. Um, cousin Eddie starts getting angry. He picks up the beef stroganoff, hurls it across the room. Now grandma's wearing it. You know, it's, it's, it gets very messy. But the truth is this. The trouble isn't that grandma can't dodge a beef stroganoff. The real issue is that someone said something which people didn't want to hear or didn't want to talk about, and it got really, really awkward. Some things just seem to be off-limits for conversations. Now, it's not just Christmas dinners, but it's every part of our life we often find that we have things that we're particularly precious about. Now, as Christians, maybe it's not Brexit, you know. Maybe we get precious about the five fundamental points of Calvinism. Again, just me, okay. Um, but, you know, there'll be things that we do get worked up about, and sometimes it's best just not to go there. So this morning, we're going there. So the title of my preach this morning, for those of you that like titles, is Five Highs. Not high fives, five highs. Okay, you'll see why. And I want to take you on a little journey through five highs. Um, I'm told that a good preacher, what you normally do is you, you find a, a story of someone inspiring that you can use as an illustration and you kind of weave that through your preach. You know, someone like Desmond Tutu or Nelson Mandela or something like that, okay? I couldn't find anyone in time, so I'm afraid you're going to have to do with a bit of my life story as the illustration, okay? So sorry about that. Um, bear with me. So let me take you to the first high. So the first high I want to talk about is high hopes, high hopes. One of the amazing things about God is that he always has a promise and he always has a plan. 
And you can see this in the way that he had a plan and a promise for the Israelites. Um, while they were still in Egypt, they knew about the promises that you know be given to Abraham and things, about the great nation and things. And finally, it all seemed to be coming together. They'd just escaped from Pharaoh, and Moses and Miriam sang a song about the land they were going to. So it was like a prophetic song of the promise and the plan that God had for them. And it's in Exodus 15, 13 to 17. Um, I'm not going to sing it, forgive me, but I will read it out. And I want to read the whole of this song bit here because it's just beautiful. Listen to this. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. The nations will hear and tremble. Anguish will grip the people of Philistia. The chiefs of Edom will be terrified. The leaders of Moab will be seized with trembling. The people of Canaan will melt away. Terror and dread will fall on them. By the power of your arm, they will be as still as stone. Until your people pass by, Lord. Until the people you bought pass by. You will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. You see, they knew that God had a plan and a purpose and a promise for them as a people. They knew that God was going before them to prepare the land. They were looking forward to that moment where they were going to be in the presence of God's dwelling. Who here knows that God has a plan for your life too? Okay. I'm absolutely serious. Who here knows that God has a plan for your life? Hands up. All right. If you didn't put your hand up, don't worry. We'll pray with you later. But God has a plan and a purpose for every single one of us. And when we got saved, we normally had a kind of quite a good idea that he had a plan for us. Um, he spoke promises over our lives, things like fruitfulness and, uh, and purpose. He didn't tell us the journey would be easy because we knew it wouldn't be, but we knew that God was going to sustain us all the way through the journey, just like it wasn't easy for the Israelites to take the promised land, but they knew God was going to be with them. I certainly experienced it myself. So um, when I was much, much younger than I am today, um, I was in a church where they had um, prophecy, prophetic words, and things like that. Um, I didn't know what a prophetic word was um, at the time. And yet, still, there were people that came and gave me prophetic words about what God had called me to. I hadn't figured it out yet, but I knew that God had a plan and a purpose. And many of you here, probably most of you here, have had prophetic words and things over your life as well. You know that God has a purpose for you. The promised land that Moses and Miriam sang about, it wasn't ready yet. It wasn't ready for the Israelites because someone was already there. Someone already had possession of the land of Canaan. Several groups of people actually and they all served very different gods. So we've got this high hope 
this promise of a land we're going to take. But something else has possession of the land first. I want to talk about our second high, high places, high places. I had the real privilege of being in Israel uh, a couple of months ago um, on business, but I took a few extra days to explore Israel, wasn't going to let that opportunity go begging. And I ended up in a museum in Jerusalem where they had a lot of um, old artifacts from Bible times in Israel. And I saw statues of three different gods. And these were the three main gods that were being worshipped in the promised land before the Israelites came along. Uh, There were others, but the three main ones. Uh, There was El. Now, El was the male creator god idea. Um, El just means god. Uh, It's the same root that we get, you know, um, El Shaddai and and things like that. Um, But El was the main creator god figure. And then he had a mistress called Asherah, the god of fertility. And then these two got together and had a son called Baal in this mythology. Um, And Baal became the most powerful of the gods by basically killing off all the other little gods. That's the the mythology of the time. So they had these three gods, El, Asherah, and Baal. And these three gods were all worshipped at places that were called high places. This is what you read about in the Bible. Now, a high place doesn't necessarily mean high. (laughs) A high place just means a place of high worship. Okay, sometimes they were on a mountain, sometimes they were in a valley, sometimes they were under a tree. Asherah was typically worshipped under a tree. When God called the Israelites to take the promised land, he told them to destroy not only the gods, but also the high places where the gods were worshipped. So those places on the mountains, in the valleys, and under the, uh, under the trees were to be destroyed as well. It says this in Deuteronomy, destroy completely all the places on the high mountains, on the hills, and under every spreading tree where the nations you are dispossessing worship their gods. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, and burn their Asherah poles in the fire. Cut down the idols of their gods and wipe out their names from those places. You must not worship the Lord your God in their way. That's pretty complete. (laughs) This is like, this isn't just don't worship the gods. (laughs) This is don't worship the gods. Find every place that they are worshipped and destroy those as well and burn the lot. Don't allow there to be anything which causes you to go back to those places where you worship the false gods. It's not just the gods. It's the things that take them to the false gods as well. There's a bit of a detour and a delay from the Israelites, as you know, you know, the wandering in the desert, etc. Eventually, they get to the promised land, and they do conquer it. Um, but if you know your Old Testament, you'll know that those high places, they were still a problem. The Israelites didn't get rid of all the gods. In fact, they tried to blend the worship of the one true God in with the local gods, and they really made a big mess of it. Um, 
To give you some examples of this, uh, under Rehoboam, son of Solomon, this is 1 Kings 14, 22 to 24. <clears throat> it says, Judah did evil in the eyes of the Lord. By the sins they committed, they stirred up his jealous anger more than those who were before them had done. They also set up for themselves high places, sacred stones, and Asherah poles on every high hill and under every spreading tree. There were even male shrine prostitutes in the land, the people engaged in all the detestable practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before the Israelites. Um, under the reign of Jehoash, he was a good king of Judah. Um, 2 Kings 12.3 says this. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Um, Jehoash, another good king. This is 2 Kings 14.14. 14. It says this. Oh, well, it's not that one. It's a different one. Sorry, my one. 2 Kings 14.14 14 says, The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Or 2 Kings 15.4. I'm hoping this is the right one. Yeah. The high places, however, were not removed. The people continued to offer sacrifices and burn incense there. Do you get the idea? The high places were the places that the Israelites went when they wanted to worship, and they ended up serving a false god. They just couldn't let go of these high places. The interesting thing is, often, the Bible doesn't even talk about the gods themselves. <laughs> it doesn't need to. It just says they went to the high places. The high places were the places they went to. It's their hook in their flesh. The hook in their flesh which took them to those things. Uh, the prophet uh, Ezekiel in Ezekiel 20 to 28, 29 said this. When I brought them into the land, I'd sworn to give them. And they saw any high hill or any leafy tree. There they offered their sacrifices, made offerings that aroused my anger, presented their fragrant incense and poured out their drink offerings. And I said to them, what is this high place you go to? It's called Bama to this day, which just means high place. They just had this drawing to the high place, this thing that they just desperately wanted to go to. Do you remember the fierce fire that burned in you when you first got saved? Do you remember how you would do anything for the holiness of God? You felt like there was nothing in you that wanted to serve false gods anymore. You were sold out for God. You wanted to take all of those things in you and just give them to God. You know, money, sex, power, doesn't matter. You were willing to give it all to God. What we may not have realized is that even though we were willing to give up the false gods, we weren't willing to give up our high places. Maybe we're willing to give up chasing after stuff. But why did we chase stuff in the first place? What was it in our character that took us to that place? Maybe we were in relationships or we worship sex and lust. But why? What was it in our character that was making us feel inadequate or unloved? Did we give that thing to God? You see, when God saved us, 
He didn't just want to deal with the false gods in our lives. Yes, that was part of it, but he wanted to restore us completely. For me, my story, um, I started out on my Christian walk um, 25 years ago. I was an IT contractor in the city of London, making way too much money, not knowing how to spend it responsibly. Um, my wardrobe, if you opened it, was all like Armani, Hugo Boss, Ralph Lauren, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, and uh, I still to this day have a set of night vision equipment that I bought on a whim. Um, I'm not quite sure what you would use night vision equipment for in the UK. Uh, well, not much that's legal anyway. Um, so I had all this stuff and I actually, I was chasing stuff, money and stuff. That was my, that was my life. And then I was convicted. That wasn't the holiness that God required of me. So I got rid of all my stuff. You know, I, I gave it away, or I sold it, or I eBayed it, and, you know. The truth is this, though. I got rid of the stuff, but I didn't get rid of the high places in my life. I never dealt with the things in my character that led me to chase money. I just got rid of the stuff. But there was a deeper problem, and I didn't know I had it. And looking back on it, I know that I was crippled spiritually, emotionally, by those high places that I just never, ever dealt with. I'd never given my deeper inner self to God. I'd just gotten rid of the external stuff and not the deeper things. And I think this is actually true for many of us. The false gods might be different. <laughs> you know, maybe money and stuff's not your thing. But... If you feel like you're not walking in everything that God had for you on the day of your salvation, the promises and the plans that he spoke over you, can I suggest to you that it might be because you've given up your false gods, but you've not broken down your high places. There's still things in your life which are taking you to those unhealthy bad things and bad places. And you haven't yet surrendered those parts of your character, your inner being, to God. And you know what happens? If we don't give those to God, maybe we'll get rid of something in our life which we know is bad. And then we just replace it with something else. This brings us to our third high. High horses. Now, as, as Christians, we're often accused of focusing um, by the world too much on sin. The world calls us judgmental. Um, some Christians call us legalistic if we talk about sin and say that we're lacking grace. Um, and to be honest, I think sometimes there's an element of truth in that. But I think maybe the reason why there's an element of truth is because I think sometimes we focus too much on the sin and the false gods that we serve and we miss the high places that take us there. Or put another way, do we sometimes focus too much on the external expression of the sin that we're struggling with and we don't focus enough on the inward brokenness that all of us have that's taking us there? So, I want to give you some examples this morning, just a couple, just to show you what I'm talking about, okay? Um, 
And it might be a little bit like that awkward dinner party where Cousin Eddie started throwing stroganoff, because this might get a little bit uncomfortable. Um, if so, sorry, not sorry. Um, but I do want you, as, as Dan said at the start, I need you to guard your heart, okay? I'm just going to use a couple of random examples. They may make sense to you, they may not. I don't know. But the point is this. If something I say now causes you to start prickling, there's a very good chance that that's touching on a high place in your life. God's heart is for restoration. God's heart is to heal these things if we give them to God. So if you're feeling prickled by anything that I touch on in the next few minutes, please don't be offended. Rather say, okay, all right, maybe I need to think about this in a high place. So, you ready for a couple of examples? Is your, is your horse safely stable so you can't jump on it and ride away? Is that okay? All right. So, do we know that watching anything that glorifies sensuality is a sin? It's a false god. 1 Peter 4.3 says this, If you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Now I'd be... I think I'd have a fairly good idea that many of us watch things that we probably shouldn't. I know I have in the past. You know, the world calls it entertainment. Netflix will send you emails saying, these great new shows are coming out. Most of what the world calls entertainment, if you scratch the service, is actually pornographic or witchcraft or something like that. Um, some of you might watch series like, you know, Love Island or Stranger Things or stuff like that. Um, not that I'm picking on those in particular, but, you know, the TV we might watch might have uh, frequent paranormal scenes, sex scenes, or just a whole bunch of pretty young things parading around in skimpy clothing, and we call that entertainment. It's not. It's a false god. But here's the question. It's not actually about Love Island. It's just a TV show. But what takes you to the place where you find that kind of thing entertaining? What is the high place that takes you to that thing in your character? Is it titillation? A desire to be just have your eyes pleased? Is it boredom? What is it in your character that is a high place that needs to be brought down and surrendered to God? Because if you give God the high place, you'll have no place to worship that false God. Another one. What about spending endless hours on computer games? Uh, did you know that's a sin? It's a false God. Yeah. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6.13, Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial no, it's not that one. It's okay. I'll read it out here. It's fine. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. 
Now, you might say that computer games aren't inherently evil. Um, most aren't. Some are. I mean, there's one called Resident Evil, but, you know, most aren't. Um, so you might say to me, you know, you say, well, Dan, computer games aren't evil. How can you say that? Because the Bible says that anything that masters you is a sin. So if you find yourself thinking about computer games while you're having breakfast, having lunch, having dinner, talking with friends, at work, if you find yourself not going to sleep at night when you should and staying up so you can play computer games, that's a very good indication that it's mastered you. But here's the question. Is the problem the computer game? No. Azeroth doesn't need you to defend it. The real issue is that there's something in your life that's taking you to being obsessed with computer games. Maybe it's a lack of affirmation. Maybe it's a chasing after a value. Maybe you play online and it's just a sense of identity or loneliness. But there's something in you that's taking you to the place where you're giving yourself to something you shouldn't. It's a high place. You've got to give it to God. Another one. Did you know that overeating is a sin? It's a false god. It says Philippians 3.19 here. I've no idea if it is 3.19. Um, we'll soon find out. Oh, it is. Wonderful. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. Some of us overeat. I know I've certainly struggled with that in the past. Now, what's eating? There's nothing inherently wrong sinful with food. It's, you know... You don't need to defend a donut. But the point is, we overeat because it's a symbol or a sign of a deeper brokenness that we have inside us. It might be a sense for a need of control or, um, or something like that, a low sense of self-worth or something. But there's a deeper brokenness in us that we need to give to God. We give that to God. False God will get sorted out if it's got nowhere to be worshipped. Last one of my little examples. Did you know that you can be your own false god? <laughs> you yourself. A lover of self. 2 Timothy 3.2 says this. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy. The world today glorifies narcissism, makes it all about you. None of us are immune to that. You know, we might love Jesus, but we're not immune to the world's influence. You look on Facebook and you'll see people who say they're Christians. The guys are all posting selfies of themselves at the gym or how good their running time is or what their amazing achievements are at work. Um, and then a lot of the women are, are posting things about, you know, their latest diet fads or something. Their profile pictures are often them posing and showing way too much of their body than they really should be doing so. It's actually worshipping self. It's a sin. But why do we do that? We do it because there's a deeper brokenness in us. There's another high place which we've not yet given to God. We're protecting some kind of high place. Pride. Or maybe a lack of self-worth. This, this was my 
high place that I fell into that trap years ago. You see, when I was chasing money and stuff and I gave it all up, I knew God had called me to, like, to holiness, to something higher. I got rid of all that stuff, and I was like, no, I don't need money and things, and I don't need to wear Armani the whole time. You know, pick and pay is fine, this will do for me. Which was fine, and I, I did. I did that. But the thing is, is that the high place itself was a high place that I was a self-made man. It was pride, that I was an independent person. So I got rid of my stuff, and instead, I just grabbed another false god. For me, building a company, and I stuck it on the throne. And I went to the same high place, and I worshipped that false god instead. I never dealt with it. I was actually in a very bad place. And this brings me to my next high, high time. Now, those of you that um, know me will know that I used to travel a lot for work. Uh, in any year, I would spend literally months on the road um, all over the world. And uh, some of you that saw my pictures on Facebook might have think it looked, looked quite glamorous going to these places. I can assure you it wasn't. Um, it was a lot of hard work, and I was pouring heart and soul into building a company. That was my goal. That was my desire, build this company. What many of you may not know is that in doing this, I completely neglected my wife and my kids. If something came up and I had to choose between dropping my company and dropping my family, you know what I did? Every time, I'd drop my family. I missed birthdays. I missed Valentines. I missed some of the most precious moments of my boys growing up. To the point where it really started affecting them badly. They were suffering. My family was suffering. My spiritual growth was nowhere. And whenever Renee, Renee or, or someone else tried to like break through and question what I was doing, I would always say things like, God's given me a company to build a company, and this is, I'm doing this for God, and I'm going, it was all rubbish. I was justifying myself by saying that I was doing this for God, but I wasn't. It's just I had this high place of self-made man, pride, and I went to that place, and I worshipped the hardest. I had to give it to God, and I just couldn't. Now, when I read the Old Testament, I'm often dumbfounded by the grace that God shows the Israelites. You know, it's like they continually keep on doing rubbish, right? And then, they, and then God's like, patient, 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 patient. And he sends the prophets and things. And, they, and like, you're almost going, look, just send them into exile already. Like, they're done. It's like, it's enough. And God's like, no, I'll give them longer. I am so thankful that God is patient. Jeremiah 26, 4 to 6 says this. Say to them, this is what the Lord says. If you do not listen to me and follow my law, which I've set before you, and if you do not listen to the words of my servants, the prophets, whom I've sent to you again and again, though you haven't listened, then I will make this house like Shiloh and this city a curse among all the nations of the earth. God sent people again and again and again, and he does that in our lives too. When you have a high place in your life, that you haven't yet given to God. He will come to you again and again and again, and he will try and get you to give that thing to him. For me, 
I chased that company for 10 years. I wanted a legacy. I wanted to say, this is something I built. I did this. I was so blind. In my own mind, it was all going so well. The company looked so good on paper. And I was deluding myself this was a good thing. I couldn't see the chaos and pain that I was causing my family and those around me. It all came to a head at the start of 2019, about three years ago. I was in discussions to sell my company for a lot of money. Big numbers. I was like, this is it. I've arrived. I've now got to the point, I sell my company, I make my money, and you know what would have happened had I done that? That high place would have been set in concrete and no one would have been able to touch it. Thankfully, God sent me into exile to teach me a lesson. See, the strangest thing happened in the second half of 2019. My company had been profitable for 10 years. We'd done really well. Suddenly, all my contracts got canceled. Every opportunity I had disappeared. It was miraculously awful. In three months, I went from hero to zero. I had to take my own cash and start pumping it into the company to keep it afloat. And it came to a head where in Christmas 2019, I had to get a loan from a family member to pay my bond. And then, I woke up and I realized that I had a high place of pride that I'd never given to God. I had to go and repent, and I had to apologize to my wife and my family and my friends for the hurt and the pain that I'd caused in my own brokenness. God is faithful, and in the last three years, he has restored family, finances, friendships. He has restored but I wish I had listened to his warnings earlier. I wish I had. Particularly my own wife. Who could see what I was doing? I wish I'd listened. It's high time for every one of us that those high places in your life that you're holding on to, the places you go to to worship those false gods, it's high time you gave them to God. This brings us to the last of our five highs. High calling. Now at this point, you might feel a bit battered and bruised. Um, if you do, sorry if I've hurt you. Um, good news. Uh, God doesn't want to leave you in that place, and neither do I. Okay? So we'll hear about God, what God's plan is. You see, because God still does have a plan. He's faithful. Even though I messed up, and I did, God still has a plan and a purpose for my life, and I know that. I just need to be faithful. Not that I've got it all figured out, <laughs> but I now at least know to listen to those who speak into my life. Paul says in Philippians 3, 12 to 14, not that I have already obtained all this 
or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. God gives us tools and equips us in this life to overcome the high places so we can run our race towards that goal. To deal with those things in our characters which lead us to the bad places and bad things that we do and we struggle with. And just as I finish, I want to give us two tools. There's lots. I'm just going to talk about two for the sake of time that God gives us to help overcome these high places. The first tool is for each one of you. Jesus promised his disciples that when he was gone, he would send a comforter, a counselor, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit sheds light on those high places inside us and strengthens us to take every thought captive and overcome those things that would trip us up. Sounds amazing, right? And it is amazing, but there's a catch. Galatians 5, to 25 says this. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, that's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Notice these are all to do with character. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit... Let's keep in step with the Spirit. Did you see the condition there? Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Now, maybe you already belong to Jesus, and God is doing a work in you, convicting you, and changing you. I, I was saved. I knew Jesus, even though I had stuff that needed fixing. I knew Jesus. But if you don't belong to Jesus, then you're trying to deal with the things in your life all on your own. If you don't have the Holy Spirit within you, it's only in the strength of your own mind that you're trying to battle your mind. That's not a recipe for success. You need the Holy Spirit within you to equip you and to strengthen you on this journey. All you have to do is acknowledge your need. Acknowledge that you have high places that only God can fix. And ask Jesus to take control of your life. The first tool was for each one of you. The second tool is each one of you. You see, God put us into family for a purpose, for a reason. In church, we often use the expression, I'm sure you've heard it, love God, love people. Um, you see it a lot on kind of bumper stickers and Facebook and things. What people often think that means is love God, be nice to people. But the truth is, is that love is a little bit more than being nice to people. You see, John 3.16 says this, for God so loved the world that he was nice to people. No? 
Oh, sorry. Uh, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Love costs. Love is a sacrifice. If we really love each other, we're willing to sacrifice for each other. Esteem each other higher than ourselves. Risk your own sense of well-being for another. So maybe, you know, it's awkward. It's hard to have these conversations. We say things like, you know, what does it matter if my friend plays computer games till two in the morning? What does it matter if my friend enjoys watching Love Island? What does it matter if my friend is always posting about, you know, all his selfies of him and his muscles in the gym? What does it matter if my friend is this or that or the other? What does it matter if he's just bought a new Ferrari telling everyone how great it is? What does it matter? Can't we just let it slide? We may be scared to go there, but do we not understand the reason people do these things is because they've got a deeper brokenness in them that's destroying them from within. If we really love people, we'll want to reach in and help them in that place of brokenness, even though it costs. If you're on the receiving end of this, if you're Cousin Eddie and you're getting ready with your stroganoff, remember, don't get on your high horse. Because that person that's coming to you, to talk to you, to help you understand what that place of brokenness is, it's costing them. I reacted badly in the past. I would justify myself. I would say, people don't understand me. People are jealous of my success. Nonsense, I was just broken. I didn't listen because I was broken. The Spirit speaks to us directly. And he speaks to us through others. He highlights our character, he highlights the high places. And he wants us to surrender those places. So this morning, I feel like this actually requires us to be intentional in how we respond to God. It might be sitting here that you know there's high places in your life, which you haven't surrendered, if you're finding yourself in a struggle, whether it be pornography or smoking or watching things you shouldn't or whatever it is, whatever it is that you're struggling with, it's a good sign there's a deeper thing inside you, a deep and brokenness that you need to offer to God. Take it to God, take it to friends around you. And it might be that you're feeling, oh, my friend is struggling in an area, I want to help them. Pray about it. Seek advice. And then maybe you need to go in love and help them. But before those things, I mentioned just now, there was a condition to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will equip us 
and help us and strengthen us and comfort us and counsel us. But we need the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes when we give our lives to God.